0: Awesome! Can we celebrate what the Lord did at a Children's Camp this year? And grateful, Miss Rebecca and your team, and some of you who grew up in uh, Baptist life in Alabama. Uh, it may not look it may not look like that, but you remember as a child you went to Shaco Springs, and here we are, all these years later, still going to Shaco Springs. And seeing what God is doing at that place. Well, uh, I had a one ch- One of my children went to Centricid Carson, my son, and uh, of course, I wanted to know how was the preaching, you know. And so I said, "How was that uh, Centrifuge Camp pastor?" And he said, uh, oh, "He's pretty good." Dad it reminded me of you. I said, "Oh yeah." He said, "Yeah." He had jokes. <laughs> <laughs> right, I'll take it. <laughs> Hey, we're going to continue in this series on 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 17. Will you meet me there in 1 Samuel 17? Today, we're actually picking up, if you were here last week, we are picking up where we left off in the most famous story in the whole Bible. I think the most famous story in the whole Bible, even people who don't grow up reading the Bible, even people who don't know a first thing about God or the Bible, they know the story of David and Goliath. And here we are picking it up. We got through the first 30 verses last week. And I don't think, I told, you know, we've got a team in the Philippines right now. I told several of the missionaries on that team. I said, hey guys, I know you're not going to be here next Sunday. Uh, David wins. I'm like, oh, thanks for clearing that up, Pastor. <laughs> I don't think anybody was on a cliffhanger, you know the end of this story, but as we walk through the text, I tried to point out along the way, we're trying to get five points, I call them five smooth stones, five smooth stones to take away from this passage, and we tried to get to three last week, you know, Goliath comes out, in some ways, chapter 17 is really a... A pop quiz on whether or not we got the lesson of chapter 16. Chapter 16, verse 7 was the anointing of David. And he's got all these big, strong, older brothers. And what does uh, does God say to Samuel in 1 Samuel 16, 7? The focus of that chapter, do not be impressed by outward appearance and the height of his stature. For the Lord's rejected him. Why? God does not see as man sees. Man is always focused on the outward appearance. Man is always focused with the uh, uh, physical eyes. But man doesn't, God doesn't see as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance. The Lord looks at the heart. And in some ways, 1 Samuel, 16, 1 Samuel 17 is just an example. It's just, a, it's just a pop quiz on whether or not we learn the lesson of sixteen seven. Who comes out but Goliath? And what are we impressed by? The height of his stature and all of his armor. Literally what 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, don't be impressed by. The height of his stature and his outward appearance. Can anyone see through with the eyes of faith? That first smooth stone. Don't see with our physical eyes, but look with the eyes of faith. And then, of course, uh, the, the camera shifts over to Bethlehem where David is tending the flock. And we get... Uh, uh, David is called to the scene to make the world's first door dash, that fateful sandwich delivery where he takes the bread and the cheeses, showing that second small stone, I said, was there's no small jobs in the kingdom of heaven. No such thing as a small job. Don't ever say my job's insignificant, my role is insignificant. It doesn't matter. There's no such thing as a small job in the kingdom of heaven. And when David arrives, he's the first one. If you go back and look, nowhere, absolutely nowhere has God been mentioned in the whole story until the little shepherd boy from Bethlehem asks the God question. And that was my third smooth stone, always ask the God question, what about God? I heard what the doctor said. I wanna know, what about God? I heard that diagnosis, but what does God have to say to this? I hear about the lostness of the world, but what about God? I hear about the pain and the heartache and the turmoil but what about God your friend comes to you they lay out all these anxieties and you look at him and say I've heard all your anxieties but let me ask you this but what about God what's God doing David says this uncircumcised Philistine has defied the armies of the living God does the fact that God is alive make any difference shouldn't the fact that God is alive make a difference here if we have a living Lord well shouldn't that make a difference so David is incredulous And he's asking around, and you remember from last week, his big brother Eliab, who's furious at David and probably a little bitter, uses the same words as Goliath. You remember that? Why have you come down? David won't let it go. Apparently he keeps asking around. I'm sorry, what? No one has stepped up? What about the living God? And on top of that, King Saul has sweetened the pot. If if anybody will, will take out this Philistine... This champion, this in-between man that the Philistia sent out, this, this Goliath from Gath, if anybody will take him out, what was it Saul will do? He'll make him rich beyond his wildest dreams. He'll give him his, the king's daughter in marriage and exempt his family from taxes. David's going, nobody's going to take a shot at this. Nobody's taking the king up on this. I don't think he can believe it. So obviously, word must be spreading around camp. David must not let it go. We pick up the action in verse 31. When the words that David spoke were heard, you knew eventually word was going to get back where? It was going to get back to King Saul. Sure enough, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. It was inevitable word would reach Saul. It's a little irony, isn't it, that Saul's looking around for someone, anyone, to do what? To step up and do exactly what King Saul was supposed to do. He's the one who's taller than anybody in the army of Israel. He's the one with all the army. He's the one who, chapter 8 says, Israel wanted a king to go out and fight our battles. And there's Saul going, I wonder who's going to step up. Saul, it's supposed to be you. But these words are going around that that this David... Uh, uh, is, is is apparently uh, there's some David uh, some some Bethlehemite I think he's uh, 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 talking about maybe there, there's rumor that there, there, there's going to be a champion and in between man the words that he spoke what were the words that David spoke? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Do you know the words that David spoke put three things in their right place? Number one it put Goliath in his right place. See to David, it wasn't about the outward appearance. It was about, he is not a member of the covenant. We are God's covenant people. Who is he to defy the armies of the living God? David, let me put it this way. David was was dead on. He was right about who the enemy was. When a Christian, when any group of Christians get it twisted about where the real enemy is, they will begin to fight each other. Did you notice Eliab? He comes down on David. Did you notice David didn't fight... Why is Eliab fighting David? Because he's not fighting the enemy. And if a church is no longer engaged with the real enemy, they'll fight with each other. Who's the real enemy? The world, the flesh, and the devil. Don't ever get it twisted. The world, the flesh, and the devil. And that's why for any Christians who are fighting each other, there's no time for that. The real enemy, the world, the flesh, and the devil is trying to tear us down. It's our job to what? Build one another up. Across churches, partnering together, working together. You see, David was clear on who the real enemy was and he put Goliath in his place. He also, if you will, uh, uh, gave God his rightful place. He is the living God. So the words David spoke put Goliath in his place. It put God in the rightful place, front and center. What about God? And it put the army in their place. Hey guys, you may have forgotten this. You may be timid. You may be scared. You may lack all courage. But you're the armies of the living God. The emphasis is not on army. It's on living God. Well, you can imagine when Saul hears these words, he hears there's going to be this warrior and this champion. You can almost imagine he's sent for this David and when they bring him in, um, "Your royal highness? Yes, is he here? Your champion has arrived." And in walks the pip squeak. You can imagine poor King Saul looking over David's shoulder like, "And who are you an armor bearer for, young young boy, you know? Not even old enough to join the army." So he's wondering, the champion's coming, he's looking past David, and there's David like, down here, down here. You know, it, it, you can imagine Saul's disappointment. Womp womp. 1 Samuel sixteen 7, we're back there, aren't we? Don't be impressed by the height of his stature or the outward appearance. Why? Because here's, Sa- here's Saul, King Saul, still looking as man sees, but man does, God doesn't see as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance. The Lord looks at the heart. And so David takes the lead. It's interesting. Saul does it. you know, you would think the king would address young David. It's actually David who's in the driver's seat right here. David said to Saul, verse 32, again, this is me. I I imagine Saul's stunned silence, you know, and David says, don't have a heart attack. (laughs) He says, let no man's heart fail because of him. You know, you almost wonder if David clarified like, don't have a heart attack because of him. No, I mean Goliath, not me. So I was like, I was going to have a heart attack because now you're our champion. <laughs> he says, no, 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 I'm talking about Goliath. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Now here, this Don't be afraid. I'm going to go and fight. Look, look, the battle, he's going to say later, the Lord doesn't save by sword or by spear. This reminds me of another famous moment in Israelite history. Do you remember in the great deliverance, in the exodus uh, uh, out of Egypt? And they, they, they make it out of Egypt and they get all the way to the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army has them Trapped. There's nowhere to go. Their backs are against the sea, and here comes Pharaoh crashing down on them. And the people look at Moses in Exodus 13, and they feared greatly. And they said to Moses, listen to this sarcasm. Can you imagine? Oh, is it because there's no graves in Egypt that you wanted us to die here in the wilderness? Isn't that something? Would they run out of graves in Egypt? What have you done in bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. They never, no, that's not what they said. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than die in the wilderness. Now it's easy to look at that and go, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You were slaves in Egypt. You cried out because of your bitter toil. The one thing you wanted was freedom. And now that you've got freedom, now you realize freedom has brought with it some fear. And now you would rather go back to being slaves because of your fear. It's one thing to look at the Egyptians, but it's another thing to look in the mirror. Have any of you ever been walking with the Lord in such a way where you thought, honestly, this was easier before I got saved. Maybe it was easier before I got free. You know, maybe it was simpler before I began following the Lord. You doubt your salvation. You doubt whether all this is worth it. That's what fear can do. It's incredible. The power fear has over people. There's a song we sometimes sing in church But I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. And Moses has the good sense in that moment to say the most obvious thing in the world. Verse 13, Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. He doesn't say exactly how it's going to happen. He doesn't say, do this, do this, here's a 10-step plan. You take control, you do all this stuff. He said, whoa, 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 what about God? Stand firm. See the salvation of the Lord. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you'll never see again. And David later says kind of the same thing to Goliath, doesn't he? I'm, listen, man, I'm going to chop your head off. You're going to be gone. Why? The Lord will fight for you. This is Exodus 13. Moses says in verse 14, the Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. Well, Moses was a man consumed with God and he saw the God question where everybody else saw the problems. David was a man consumed by God and he asked the God question when everybody else just saw the, saw the problems. He says, let no man's heart fail. Why? Logic. I will go, your servant, I will go and fight with this Philistine. You got it? The, the word go here is used throughout this narrative. You'll see it over and over again, right? And he says... Um, uh, uh, I will go. And the reply in verse 33 is immediate. And Saul said to David, You're not able to go. Okay. <laughs> Isn't that something? I will go. Saul says, You're not able to go. Now, sometimes in an interview, you're uh, <clears throat> in a job interview, uh, what they want to tell you is no, but they want to do it in a really nice way. So they let you down gently. Uh, it'd be probably less painful if they were just like, Nope. <laughs> right? But instead, they let you down gently. Um, and, uh, and so here, uh, Saul tells David, you're not able to go. But he didn't want to break young David's heart. And so uh, he kind of lets you down gently. Look at verse 33. It says, and Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. Um, you see, David, um, uh, for you're your but a youth. And he's been a man of war from his youth. So listen, David, thanks for coming in. You know, when I heard there was a champion, I have to admit, I uh, really got excited. And by all uh, appearances, you just don't have a couple things. You don't have the experience, and you don't have the equipment. You can see he's kind of letting him down. Gently. Now listen, as for your bravery, your courage, are you kidding me? I wish I had an army full of guys like you with your bravery and your courage. The problem is, you just don't have the experience. So um, you can leave your resume on the way out uh, with the secretary. But uh, we'll, you know, don't call us, we'll call you. Uh, but it's your total lack of experience and, and, and not to mention your lack of equipment. I'm sorry. Verse 34. But David said to Saul, listen, thanks for the interview. I knew it was a long shot. We'll be in touch. No! <laughs> That's not what he says. No, he realizes Saul has the mind of Goliath. Do you remember when I said last week, I think David has to face three mini-Goliaths before he gets to Goliath himself. He has to face three Goliaths before he even gets to Goliath. He has to face the mouth of Goliath. His big brother Eliab uses the exact same word Goliath uses. Exact same words. Why have you come down? So the same thing Goliath has. Why have you even come down? What's your motivation? That kind of hate-filled anger that comes from Goliath comes from Eliab. So here he's facing Eliab down. And now the mind of Goliath is what? Only the best of the best can fight with me. Only the most experienced warriors can fight with me because God doesn't, apparently in Goliath's mind, God doesn't have anything to do with this. This is a, 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 a matter of experience and, 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 you know, don't mock me with some, some rookie upstart, no equipment. Well, that's the, Saul has the same mind, doesn't he? You're not able to go. Why? Here he is again, it's 1 Samuel 16 7. He's focused on the outward appearance, he's thinking just like the pagan. And you know, if you're not careful, how easy it is. You know Romans chapter 12, that's why Paul warns, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? Because if you're not careful, you'll take on the mindset of the pagan Goliath. Well, the only way we can solve this is, is, you know, leave God out of the equation and we're just going to have to do it by experience and brute force and the resources. Whoa, 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 whoa. What about God? So David presses his case. But David said to Saul, All right, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And Saul's thinking, Well, shepherding is a long way from fighting a giant. David said, Let me finish. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him. Wow, okay. And by the way, I, myself, am a parent. You are, many of you are parents. Uh, I assure you, if uh, I put my child in charge of the animals and a lion or bear come and take one, son, let it go. <laughs> right? That's okay. I can always replace a little sheep. I can't replace you. And yet, and yet, isn't that something? The shepherd was not okay with even one sheep being lost. Now listen, if you guys know where I'm going with this, we can probably end the sermon right here. Who is this shepherd from Bethlehem pointing us to? Who is this good shepherd that when nobody was watching, when nobody cared, it mattered that every one of the flock of God was safe? Every one of his father's flock, those who come, I can't lose one. To everyone God puts in his flock, you are safe in that shepherd from Bethlehem. I'm not talking about David, am I? <laughs> No, everybody in here knows where I'm going with this. Who is it? Who's that shepherd? It's King Jesus. To those who come, I can't lose one. His people must and shall go free because of the good shepherd. Well, anyway, uh, back to David's, this is David's story. Uh, When it came, a lion or a bear took a lamb from the flock. I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. But sometimes, David pointed out, when I took that lion's lunch away, the lion was none too pleased about it. So the lion would turn, and if he arose against me, I love that, that not all lions did. And I kind of appreciate the fact that some lions are like, look, if you're willing to risk your life for the sheep, I'm good, I can find another sheep. But some lions did, some bears did, and if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard, struck him, and killed him. Hand-to-hand combat with a lion, not not, 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 not air warfare, He okay. Verse 36, your servant has struck down both lions and bears and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them for he's defied the armies of the living God. What do you think of that? Well, we don't know what Saul thinks because he doesn't speak next. David has to speak again, which makes me think Saul paces the room. Huh. It doesn't look like much. He has no weaponry. And I say he has no experience, but sometimes in a job interview, You you meet somebody, and they don't have the right qualifications, but they got the intangibles. (laughs) Now, that's certainly an intangible. Oh, what am I going to do? I'm so focused on the outward appearances, and yet this lion and the bear thing is compelling. Now, why do I say, am I making this up? Why do I say Saul paces the room? Because verse 37, and David said. Well, David was just speaking. Why would the writer have to say, and David said? Because obviously there was silence. David had to press his point, and he makes it so that there's no misunderstanding. The Lord, who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. You mark it down. Verse 37 is key to interpreting properly the David and Goliath story. The Lord. A lot of us interpret David and Goliath as the strength of David, the craftiness of David. Ah, good call, using a missile instead of a sword, you know. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, the ha, don't ever underestimate the little guy. And that's the point. No, the point of this story is the Lord delivered. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion. David doesn't chalk it up to luck or skill or audacity. He doesn't say, Saul, you should let me go because I've demonstrated against the lion and the bear. I have true grit. This is me. I can do it. He doesn't say he has true grit. He says, I know the true God. See, it's the Lord's power. And the only thing I can figure, same God against the lion, same God against the bear. And as I look around, the only thing different is the circumstances. Same God. And this Philistine is on two legs, and a lion and a bear are on four, but they're both mammals. Same God. As far as David is concerned, this big fellow was just one more animal at- attacking the flock of God. In fact, it's a little ironic. Uh, David says he's going to be just like an animal, and I'm getting ahead of myself. But remember when Goliath comes before David, his first word, am I a dog? what's the irony, of course, is to David, yeah. Yeah. You know what dogs? Big bark. Some of you have that. Big, big bark. Bark, 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 bark. Actually, some of your dogs are like this, and they bark, 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 bark Right? Yeah, big bark. But yeah, to David, that's exactly what you are. Okay, David's logic is incontrovertible. It's the foundation of his faith. Do you follow the logic? On what basis do you have hope? Because the Lord has delivered in the past. I've seen how he has delivered. I believe he will deliver in the future. Do you remember earlier in 1 Samuel chapter seven? What did he do? Samuel took a stone and called it, Ebenezer. Do you remember this? He set up the Ebenezer stone. Why? So that every time you'd look at it, you'd say, thus far the Lord has helped me, and he will lead me home. He didn't bring me this far to abandon me. By looking at the past deliverance of the Lord, it gives me strength and courage to look at the future deliverance of the Lord. In other words, he's saying, I'm an expert, Saul. I'm an expert. You think I don't have experience? I'm an expert. And I'm not an expert in fighting giants, and I've never faced anything like this before, and I'm not an expert at military, and I'm not an expert at being big and tall tall and strong I'm an expert in trust in the Lord I've become a trust expert I've been training in a way I guess I didn't think about it at the time but God has been quietly preparing me for this moment when no one was watching when it wasn't a big deal what's a big deal what's a sheep when no one's watching I was learning to trust God and that's smooth stone number four learn to trust God when no one is watching I think I worded it this way on the screen. Get to know God when no one is watching. Get to know his ways. Get to know his works. Learn to trust him. Let me say it this way. You you might want to write this down. Because in the moment... You know, when you get that diagnosis, when you face that Goliath, if you will, when, you, when, you, when, you, when you're faced with that fear or that anxiety and you get that word and it causes you to panic, you don't know where you're going to you pay the rent, you've got that financial uh, thing going on, you've got this big news and it's happening at work and all is going to fall apart, you're trying so hard to trust God. I meet people who say, I'm trying to trust God, preacher, I'm hanging on. My marriage, my kids, I'm trying to trust God. Let me, let me say it to you this way. Don't just try to trust God, train to trust God. Does that makes sense? When it comes to trust, don't just try for it, train for it. When it comes to trust, don't just try for it, train for it. David had been quietly training against the lion and the bear. I wonder if you've ever thought of your daily devotion time as quietly training your heart. Why? You're looking at the stories of God's deliverance. You're praying to God. You're thanking him for how he's delivered. And little by little, do you know what you're doing when you have that daily devotion? And I hope you have a daily time alone with God. David was alone. The only people there were the sheep. Nobody would have said anything. If he let it go and he came back and said, hey, Jesse, or he would have called him dad. Hey, dad, I lost one of the sheep today. Really? What happened? A sheep's very valuable. How'd you lose it? A lion took it. Okay, well, that happens. Right? But No. In the quiet, when no one was watching. Now, do you exercise faith when no one is watching? Do you pray when you're called on in Sunday school or in a church meeting? Or do you pray in your prayer closet? Jesus says, don't just pray out loud. That's how the hypocrites do it. But go into your little closet, your prayer room. What are you doing? You're training your heart to trust. Now, when you're faced, some of you it's going to be a week from now, two weeks from now, a month from now, a year from now. But some of you, one, all of you, uh, will face a moment where you're going to be required to trust greatly. I already know what you're going to do in that moment. I know your future. Are you some kind of prophet? No. I'm a non-profit. But I know, I know what you're going to do. You're going to do in that moment exactly what you've trained to do. That's what you're going to do. For David, Goliath was just the natural next step. Everybody sees his public victory, but we're told, the reader here through David, we're told about his private victories. You're gonna do what you've trained to do. When you, um, uh, will you imagine with me that um, you, uh, perhaps some of you, this is a dream. Others of you, I'm about to describe a nightmare. But you are on stage and the curtain opens and you look up and there's (laughs) spotlights on you and you find that you are seated at a grand piano. And you are at Carnegie Hall. It's just you. And all of Carnegie Hall is gathered to see you, hear you, play the piano. Over in the balcony, you hear someone cough. (laughs) A grandmother unwraps a Werther's original. You can hear it all. And in that moment, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? I can tell you, you're going to do exactly what you've trained to do. But I'll tell you this, it is too late in that moment to prepare your fingers to know how to play a Chopin etude It's too late. Did Chopin write it, Maybe, we'll see. It is too late, isn't it? You can't say, okay, fingers, Uh, let's figure this out. Let's get some training. Let's get some practice. No, you will do what you've trained to do. Now, you're going up against the world, the flesh, and the devil. You being here this Sunday morning, don't you realize? You may say, well, I'm not really in some big drama. I'm big crisis. Do you realize this Sunday morning, you're training your heart to trust him a little bit more? And that's why people say, well, you know, I, we could either go to church or not. Well, I, I get it in one sense. It, it doesn't determine your salvation, maybe. But, but, but have you ever occurred to, like, this is spiritual training. Well, Sunday school, I don't know. I haven't really found a Sunday. Get in Sunday school. Why? Goliath's coming. And you will do what you've trained to do. You can't just trust God in that I mean, you certainly can trust God in the moment. Let me say it this way. Better than trusting God just in that moment is training your heart to trust for all the moments that lead up to that. See? David would understand that. And for years, I think I misunderstood this. I used to say David was allowed to go fight Goliath because he had proved his strength in fighting lions and bears. But this week, I've been convicted by that. No, that's not what the text is saying. It's not David's power He's saying, I've trained, I've learned, I've seen. The Lord delivered me. That's the whole point. Fighting lions and bears is impossible. That's the point. I can do the impossible. Why? Because I can't do the impossible. What did our choir sing? Yet not I, but Christ through me. I've learned to trust him. And the Lord delivered me from the paw of the lion, delivered me from the paw of the bear. It's questionable whether I even should have been involved in those fights. But the Lord bailed me out. Uh, I don't know how the armies of Israel got to this point. But the same Lord, he just, he bails out, you know, he'll deliver. Well, he would later write in a psalm, one of my favorite psalms of David, if the Lord, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say. You can almost imagine the, the psalm, if the Lord had not been on our side, let Israel say, if the Lord had not been on our side. It's kind of a call and response. That's how I imagine it. Anyway, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when the people, they would have swallowed us alive. Their anger would have kindled the flood. Okay, okay, you get it. But our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. That's Psalm 124 if you want to look at that later. Well, for whatever reason, it seems to be the thing that convinces Saul. And We've got to get to this fifth smooth stone. I promised my kids the giant would be dead by July 10th. and We've got to move quickly. We've got to get through this. Okay. And Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you and under his breath. And he better be. <laughs> Although there's, it's loaded in irony since chapter 16 makes it clear that the Lord had departed Saul and the Spirit had rushed upon David. And when they, when they talk about David, they say he's, 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 he's good, uh, he, he's a good singer, he's uh, smart, he's a good conversationalist, and he's a warrior. But best of all, the Lord is with him. Now, we come now to the armor scene. It is both comic and tragic. Do you remember the, army, the armor scene? Verse 38, then Saul clothed David with his armor. This is utterly comic because we know that Saul was big and strong. Well, one thing we know physically about Saul over and over in scriptures, he was tall. Saul is a XL tall, and David is a youth medium, you know? And so it's, 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 it's comical. He put a helmet of bronze on his head, clothing with a coat of mail. David strapped his sword over his armor and he tried in vain to go for he'd not tested him. right? You can imagine the scene. I don't know if anybody ever give you a, their helmet. You know, here, uh, uh, you normally don't ride these motorcycles or four wheelers, so here, you can borrow my helmet. I remember as a kid they would do that. And these grown ups would take us out and, here, you can wear mine. And, you know, they got this big head. And my head's like a pea. And they put the helmet and it's rattling around in there and it's going backwards. I'm going to kill myself on the strap because it's dangling off. And there's salt. no, 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 let's put this coat of mail. Ooh, it uh, doesn't fit at all. You're gonna, but, if, but if we cinch it up, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, I think that's, there's David wearing it like your kid in dad's pajamas, you know. Look, and he's going, no, no, maybe if we cinch it up, maybe if we tighten this. Yeah, yeah, you know what, I can see it. I can see victory. It's, it's going to happen, right? Come on. It's comic. David said, I can't go with these. I've not tested them. And here I think David is letting Saul down gently. I can't go with these. You know, <clears throat> I haven't field tested these. Not to mention the fact they don't fit and I look ridiculous. So David put them off. It's comic, but it's also tragic. The king on his way out, trying to make the king on his way in just like him. Tragic, isn't it? Did anybody ask the most obvious question of this text? Hey, Saul, if I need armor to go fight Goliath, if armor's the thing that's going to deliver me, if the armor is good enough for me, then why isn't the armor good enough for you? Like, if you won't trust this armor to go out into battle... Why would you want me to try to fit into this mold? That's the third Goliath David has to face: the mouth face, the mouth of Goliath in Eliab. Why have you come out? The mind of Goliath in Saul. Outward appearance is all he can see. Experience and equipment is all that counts. But here are the ways of Goliath in the armor of Saul. And we see this today: fight fire with fire. Hey, the enemy has worldly weapons. You got. You need to fight with worldly weapons. You got beef with someone. How does the world solve it? When you have an issue with somebody, how does the world solve it? Simple. Gossip, backstab, and if you gossip, it's good because then you control the narrative. You get your side of the story out first. Get everyone on your side. Try to manipulate. Use social media if you need. Lash out and get your revenge in ahead of time. Eventually, if things go south enough, it's lawsuits or even violence or slander, force. The follower of Jesus refuses such armor. Why? It's not the Jesus way. The Lord can save without sword or spear or gossip, slander, malice, violence, and hurt. David doesn't use the weapons of the world, control, fear. These are the world's weapons. Instead, what does he take? Verse 40, and here we come to the end. He took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch for everyone who says, oh, fanny packs are actually coming back from the 80s. No, they're coming back from 1,000 B.C., but if you see, his sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. Yep, a Lord's servant going into battle with a fanny pack. Uh, Abraham Curavilla points out something I'd never noticed before. Over and over, they take pains to list out the armor. Goliath has five pieces of armor. Helmet, coat of mail, greaves, that's leg armor, javelin, and spear. Got it? Helmet, mail, greaves, javelin, spear. And David has four. Staff, stones, pouch, sling. Five against four. Well, you'll see in just a minute. He's got one more weapon he hasn't revealed yet. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. There's that shield bearer going first. Maybe he thought the shield bearer could take out David. He wouldn't even need to fight. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. David was a dermatologist's dream. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog? that you come to me with sticks, which is ironic. He only had the one stick, but uh, anyway, the Philistine. And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Don't miss this. He cursed him by his gods. It's very important. He, he, he's actually right. He's saying this is actually a battle between gods. Who can truly save? And the Philistine said to David, come to me and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. The ultimate shame, of course, would not just be to be defeated in battle, but to be left without burial. And now David reveals in verses 45 to 47 his fifth weapon. It's in fact the only weapon he needs. And I'll just say right now to those of you who are parents, grandparents, verses 45 to 47, I have offered each of my three children. I'll just tell you what I did. You do what you want. I have offered each of my three children a five dollar bill to everyone who memorizes 45 through 47. So the minute they say from memory, First Samuel 17, 45 to 47, I will give them $5. You say, Preacher, that doesn't seem very spiritual. Hey, I'm willing to fight dirty. (laughs) I'm willing to use bribery. Why? Because here's what David says David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and a spear with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. There's his fifth weapon the God of the armies of Israel whom you've defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head and I will give the dead bodies. I can't wait till my eight-year-old daughter says this. And I'll give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know there's a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know the Lord saves not with sword or spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. You see why I'm paying each kid to memorize that. Two reasons. One is just sheer self-justification. i got to tell you this, so you don't think I'm an evil-based person. Well, you may still think that, but you'll think at least I have good uh, precedent. Uh, And the first reason is I heard Andy Stanley say that his dad paid him $5 when he was a boy to memorize verses 45 through 47. And I thought, if it's good enough for Charles Stanley. But the second reason, Andy said it. He said, this is what his dad, who's Dr. Charles Stanley, said. I'm paying you to memorize this. Because one day in your life, you will be faced with a temptation, a choice, a power of darkness. You will be come up against some evil that will want to tempt you to go away from God. And that evil will look so strong and powerful. And you will need to be able to say to the darkness, you come at me with sword and spear and javelin. But I come at you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the angel armies, whom this day you have defied. And today I'm going to actually take you down. I'm going to cut your head off and feed your body to the birds of the field. Why? That all the world may know there is a God in Israel. And he doesn't say by sword or by spear. The battle is the Lord's. You're gonna need to be able to speak that into the darkness. And I'm telling you right now, grandparents, parents, uh, uh, I I guarantee this $5, that's gonna be a million dollar investment if they have it in their heart and they're able to speak it into the darkness. Best $5 I'll ever spend, see? Well, The purpose of David's victory, obviously not just to save or deliver the Philistines, uh, excuse me, save Israel or defeat the Philistines, but glorification of Yahweh in the eyes of the world. The battle's over almost before it begins. This is a round one knockout. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, verse 48, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his back and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone, the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground over and round one. Perhaps he's dazed. Perhaps he's dead. David doesn't leave anything to chance. David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran over, stood over the Philistine, took his sword. And you can imagine how heavy it was, right? Drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. Can you imagine? David uses Goliath's sword without Goliath's permission. If you were here several weeks ago, do you remember Father's Day? There was no blacksmith. Philistia had all the swords, and in the end, they died by their own swords. Here's one more Philistine in the same way. The men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout. They pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron. The wounded Philistines fell on the way from Sharam as far as Gath and Ekron. The people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines. They plundered the camp. David took the head of the Philistine, brought it to Jerusalem, put his armor in the tent. And it seems the Lord will give strength to his king and exalt the power of his anointed. David was the anointed one. God exalted his power. Let me say it again. The Lord will give strength to his king and anoint the power of his anointed one. He will strengthen his anointed one. You say, that sounds vaguely familiar, but I can't place it where have we heard that. Do you know where you heard that? That's 1 Samuel 2 verse 10. That's Hannah's prayer in the beginning of the book. I still can't get over Hannah. I'm still not over Hannah, that praying mother prayed somehow prophetically in the future and that's exactly what has unfolded well musicians are going to come and lead us in a time of response some of you say wait a minute he promised five smooth stones i only got four here's the fifth and you've probably seen it coming a mile away there is a champion and this story of david is not an example so much As it is meant to point us. The point is not be like David. The point is there is one who came like David. He came from the little town of Bethlehem. And just like the armies of Israel didn't deserve the salvation, this champion from Bethlehem earned a salvation that none of his people deserved. You know, a famous story in the Bible is David and Goliath. Another very famous story is often told on Palm Sunday. And when this one from Bethlehem came marching in, to Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Do you remember the crowds what they said? Hosanna to who? To the son of David. And how did David come? David came not with sword or spear or javelin. He came in the name of the Lord. And on Palm Sunday they laid down their palms and they said, Blessed is he who comes. How? In the name of the Lord. Are you sure? He's on a donkey. He doesn't look like much. Caesar's got a whole army. This guy's got a donkey and 12 apostles. Yeah. I don't understand. David didn't look like much. I don't know how you're going to take this down without a sword or a spear. The Lord doesn't say it by sword or spear. You need to fight, Jesus. You need to be a Messiah. No, I come in the name of the Lord. My weapons are love, truth, grace, and mercy. And he stretched out his arms on Calvary's cross. And when he defeated the ultimate Goliath, death, on the third day, he rose again from the dead. And all who place their faith and trust in the true and better David, the son of David, the one who comes in the name of of the Lord, the very Son of God, Jesus, to all who place their faith and trust, they too will have an in-between man, a champion, to face down that ultimate Goliath of death and will have life eternal from victory unto victory. If you're not a believer, the invitation is be saved today. If you are a believer, the invitation is, hey, we're the armies of the living God. Let's get off the sidelines. get engaged. Why? Because the Lord delivers. Not by sword or spear or javelin. battle is the lord's let's pray together heavenly father speak to us grant to us a fresh passion to serve the lost to tell the world they don't need to follow idols anymore idols can't save to let the whole world know there is a living god and he's not the god of the idolaters give hope to the hurting life to the spiritually dead To those who are believers, grant us a fresh courage to share that good news. And anyone who's not a believer, let today be the day that cross over from death to life. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand to your feet?